Well, hello and welcome to our online experience at Christianal Church, church family. Uh, so here we are on the other side of Resurrection Sunday, and uh, this is our fifth Sunday not meeting in our building here. And uh, I want to take a brief moment and just ask you, um, how are you? How's your family? Uh, man, maybe more importantly, how's your soul? Think about that for a moment. How's your soul doing? Are you in survival mode? Do you feel lonely? Um, has this season of being home made life hard and difficult for you and for your family? Maybe there's some tension uh, that's been going on uh, within your house, within your family, within yourself. My hope and prayer is that you're all thriving, but the reality is, is I know that there are those who are watching right now uh, who are struggling a little bit, and I myself will be the first to admit that I've had some struggle moments. Uh, there's There's been some tough times during this pandemic for me internally, and um, being out of my normal flow of life has only magnified some of the problems, some of the things beneath the surface, and it's brought further attention to the things that I need to allow God to prune and cut away in me. And so I would imagine that, you know, you may be experiencing the same thing. Uh, so I want to give a, a, an encouragement before we jump into the message. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says this, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him... We have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So three things. He has, he will, and he will continue. And so in the midst of the tension that you're in in your home right now, in the midst of us not meeting here and another Sunday gone by uh, where where we're not in the same building together and that may be wearing on you, what I want to say to you is that God has delivered us. He will deliver us, and He will continue to deliver us. It's on Him we have set our hope. And so there's an opportunity in front of of me and and in front of you. Uh, God, our good, loving Father, is ready to help us look more like Jesus. He will uphold, love, and transform each one of us. And our starting point in that process is going to be our faith. And so we're talking about faith over fear today, right? And uh, that's a pretty um, uh, well-used phrase in what's going on, faith over fear. So let's open up our Bibles. Go grab one if you don't got one. Um, Download the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, on your iPad. But let's, let's, let's get a Bible, all right? You got it? Let's open up your Bible. We're going to go to Hebrews Chapter 11. If we're going to talk about faith, we got to go to Hebrews chapter 11, right? It's one of the defining the uh, chapters on faith. And so in the NIV, uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1 is going to say this. It's going to say, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and it's assurance about what we do not see. 
this is what the ancients were commended for. The, the, uh, the, the elders of the past in the Old Testament is what they were commended for. Now, the King James Version is going to say something like this, and and other similar translations. It's going to say, now, faith, instead of hope, it's going to say the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so the words substance and evidence, to me, better articulate what faith is. And there's a perspective, I think, that faith, that, that sometimes we hold that faith is only a mental exercise. Uh, it's something that we are willing ourselves into saying, I hope this is true. I'm not sure, but I'm really trying to believe this. And if I just sort of, you know, maybe like grit hard enough, then, then I'll believe that, that this thing is true, right? Um, and so I don't personally believe that that is a correct view of faith. And I think many others would say that, you know, looking at the King James Version and, and other translations of the Bible of this word, um, that, you know, faith, it's an experience. And it's an experience that, that gives you a taste of the thing that you're hoping for. A taste of the thing that you're getting yourself into. And so faith isn't me trying to make myself believe something that I'm not sure about. It's not me trying to will myself into some belief. It's something to me way more deep and profound. Faith it is a mental activity, but it doesn't stop there. Faith is an experience because of the choices that we make. And so when I live and act in faith, I catch a glimpse or taste of the substance of the thing I'm hoping for. And so how can I explain this? Well, you know, I thought about my dating, engagement, and marriage experience with my wife, Anna. And so there was a time uh, where we were dating and I remember the shift that took place whenever I proposed to her and asked her to marry me. And so when I proposed to Anna and gave her a ring, all of a sudden we both experienced a taste of what was to come. We weren't married yet, but we were in this in-between stage. We, we weren't dating, we weren't, but we weren't married, right? We were in this in-between time. And I believe that here on earth, we're in this in-between time, right? Um, you know, we're not dead, but, you know, we haven't reached, we haven't reached glory yet, right? Um, we haven't reached the fullness of, of, of Jesus returning. And so we're in this in-between time here on earth. And so, you know, I made an action based on evidence of our relationship history. And at that moment, we experienced a glimpse of what was to come. Anna could look at her finger, right? She could look at, at the ring that I picked out with the help of one of her best friends. And, uh, and it was, it was a, um, a reminder that her faith in me was not placed irrationally, right? And so we weren't married yet. We hadn't experienced the fullness of, mar- of the marriage relationship, but we were living by faith in what was to come. And, and it wasn't in an irrational place, right? So there was hope and lots of thinking. There was a heartfelt connection and there was accompanying action, right? So I want to combat this idea within Christianity that our beliefs are somehow just blind faith. We've all heard the statement leap of faith or blind faith. And I don't think that that's the Christian faith. I don't think Christian faith is just blind, right? I would call that dumb faith. Okay, so we've got the Christian faith and we got dumb faith. And uh, so if I sent you an invitation to my wedding, 
but I hadn't met Anna and I wasn't dating anyone. I was completely single. That would be dumb, right? So if I said I was acting in faith that, hey, I'm getting married on this day. Here's the wedding invitation. But I wasn't engaged. I wasn't even dating anybody. Had no prospects. That would be dumb faith, right? And so let's look at Hebrews 11.11 real quick. There's a few examples we're going to hit real quick um, where where faith began with some with some reason with some substance with a little bit of evidence so in verse 11 um it says and by faith even sarah who was past childbearing age was enabled to bear children because it says this she considered him faithful who had made the promise and so in the story, right, Sarah, who's 80 years old, she laughed when, when, when God told her that she would bear a child. She's 80 years old. Um, and so she's like, yeah, right, okay. But it says here, and in the commentary in Genesis, that she does something. She considers the faithfulness of God. She begins to do some mental math. Sarah looks at God's past faithfulness to her and reasons that if he was faithful then, I can in good faith trust that he will be faithful now. Is she absolutely certain? No. But is there a reason for her to have faith? Yes. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Verse 19, catch this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham's son Isaac is proof already. The fact that he has Isaac is proof that God is trustworthy. So Abraham reasons and thinks on the faithfulness of God. He doesn't just offer up Isaac blindly as some blind leap of faith. Well, I'll, okay, sure, God, I guess I will. No, he trusts God and he thinks this through and determines that God is worthy of obeying and, and placing his faith in. Verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he has made, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him in the same promise. It's so a reason alone isn't enough for our faith. It must be accompanied by an experience of action. And so Abraham reasons that God is trustworthy. He acts on obedience and there's this exchange of trust that occurs. See, faith starts mentally. But it can't stop there. It's not something that I'm just thinking on. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just a, a fancy idea, right? If I told you that I had faith Anna would marry me, but I never took any action step towards marrying her or pursuing her, how strong is my faith, correct? So faith begins in my mind, but I have to do something about it. And so I, I, I don't act alone, though. I, I rely on the testimony in scripture, right? The guidance of my faith community. And then there's this transfer of trust from my self-sufficiency into a reliance out on something outside of myself. And so faith is the substance, the reality of the thing that we're hoping for. And I want to say to you today that we have an incredible reason to act in faith. His name is Jesus. We just celebrated Resurrection Sunday. That event 
is the event our Christian faith is hinged upon. The death and resurrection of Jesus. Our faith is that a man named Jesus, he lived here on this earth. He lived a sinless life, blameless in every way, but he was really upset some religious leaders. They had him put to death. He willingly gave his life on our behalf as a ransom for our sin. And three days later after he died, he walked out of the tomb that his body was placed in. And in so doing, he conquered death and put the final seal on a new covenant between God and us humans. So there's testimony of hundreds of people about his life, his death and being raised. And Paul even writes to people saying, hey, this may be hard to believe, but there's like 500 of us who saw Jesus alive after he was dead. You can actually come talk to them. Paul's appealing to reason. I want you guys to know that, man, you may be watching this and thinking, man, Christians are crazy. Well, I'd agree sometimes, but... Not entirely crazy. So our faith isn't without reason or evidence. And I pray it isn't without action. Because without action, our faith is just merely an idea. And so I've tried to lay out a biblical view of faith. How do we reckon faith with our fear? Well, let's read Second Timothy. It says this, chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let's read that out together, out loud, okay? If you've got it in front of you, will you read that with me? Let's go. You ready? For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That was awesome. You guys did great. Okay. Now, who's the author of power? God. Who's the author of love? Also God. Now, who do you think... The author of a sound mind is. That's right. God. So I'll be honest. I haven't had a sound mind throughout every step of this pandemic. I've allowed the pressure of all this change to weigh me down at times. And my mind just to kind of unravel in moments. Um, And I just want to say preparing for this message was a breath of fresh air for me uh, because I believe it really recentered me in a way that I needed in faith in God. And I'm hoping that the same happens for you. I want to take a moment and just look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. We're going to look at the time whenever Jesus and the disciples got in the boat in the midst of a storm. And, and then a storm came upon them, right? So 23 In in Matthew 8, verse 23, it says, He got into the boat and his disciples followed them. And right before this, he told his disciples, Hey, let's go over to uh, the other side of the lake, right? So they got into the boat. Disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Jesus, it says, was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up, rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and waves obey him. So I want to take a moment and just think about this for a moment. Jesus had just been ministering um, on the mountainside, and, and he was kind of ministering to these different villages. And then 
he's kind of ready to get away from the crowds, you know, I kind of see in, in the previous uh, verses. And he says, hey, let's go across the lake. And he's on this boat and he's headed somewhere. And the storm comes. The disciples wake him up. They're like, hey, we're going to die. We're going to perish. And 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 Jesus, in the midst of all of this, you know, he he um, he rebukes the wind of the waves. He says, hey, peace, be still. And then he takes this moment for a little learning lesson, right? He says, hey, you have a little faith. Why are you so afraid? And, and he's kind of being a little bit hard on the disciples. And I really want to kind of take a moment and just think through maybe a different lens on this verse than you may have thought about before. Um, this was eye-opening for me. There are storms in our life that come upon us, and maybe all of a sudden, and I think we could all agree that what's happening with coronavirus is is a storm um, that has come upon our world, and and either directly through the virus or just the effects of it on our economy and our way of life, right? Um, and the storm that disciples were facing was real, and it was terrifying. They believed that they were going to die. But the point is not about surviving the storm, I believe. The point is about who was in the boat with them. And so, yes, I believe that Jesus can calm storms. We see it happen here. We even see it happen in the Old Testament that we serve a God. You know, the Israelites, they served a God who was the God that could split the sea, right? And so, uh, Good Friday, that, that was Passover uh, for Jewish people. And so Passover is the celebration of the the Israelites being freed from Egypt. So they're running from Egypt. The Egyptians are chasing after them. All of a sudden, they come up on the Red Sea, and uh, and they feel stuck, right? Well, what happens? God splits the sea in two so they could walk right through. And then the Egyptians, they're swallowed up in the sea as they try to follow. And so all throughout the Old Testament, you see... Uh, in, in the Psalms, you know, where, where they're praising, you know, this, this God that, that He could calm the seas and, and He could split the sea, right? And so I believe that we serve a God who He can split the sea wide open. Jesus can calm the storms of our life. He can. It, it's powerfully true. And, and I get encouraged by that, but I don't believe that Jesus came to this earth, that His mission and that God's plan is just to calm storms in our life. No, I don't believe Jesus came to calm the storm. Jesus came to save souls. Amen? So, Jesus didn't come to just give me an easy life. Man, he came to, to, to put the final stamp on death. Ultimately, in this story, Jesus, he's on the way to a demonically possessed man on the other side of the lake, if you read in the verses right after this, when they finally reach shore, there's a demonically possessed man on the other side. And so we see Jesus, he's on a mission. He's heading somewhere. There's purpose in where he's going. He's saying there's someone on the other side of this lake that I need to go set free from bondage. And so he's unconcerned with anything that may get in his way. I believe that our takeaway from this isn't that we should choose faith over fear because if we do, then God will make the boogeyman go away. No, I, I believe we choose faith over fear because if even if the boat goes under, if the storms 
overtake us. We know who is at rest in the boat with us. We know that our spirits have been raised to life in Jesus. We see in Hebrews 11 that there were those who were far more obedient and faithful than many of us today in even harder circumstances. And that provokes me and challenges me. Because Hebrews says in verses 39 and 40 that those who are faithful in the Old Testament, those heroes of the faith, man, they hadn't even received the fullness of God's promise. We have. We have experienced resurrection life in Jesus. So the qualifying tension in all of this is that God is definitely still near and dear to our suffering, right? He, he is intimately concerned with our struggle and pain. He, he's near to the brokenhearted. He isn't saying, hey, I gave you my son. What more do you want? Uh, he knows that our best chance in life for survival until we reach glory is a faith-filled life of obedience modeled after the life of Jesus who experienced the greatest onslaught of evil as wave after wave engulfed him to the point where he died. He was killed. So yeah, relief from a storm on earth isn't the best thing that can happen to us. My flesh begs to differ. My mind is like, ah, are you sure? The best thing that can happen to me is being pruned, trimmed, molded, and shaped into the image of Jesus the Messiah. The momentary affliction that we experience here on this earth is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. Jesus calmed the storm, but that wasn't the reason he came to earth. God split the sea so the Israelites could escape. Was his goal to do something really cool and awe-inspiring? No. Was it cool and awe-inspiring? Absolutely. Is he a God who can split the sea? Yes. But what is his aim? What's his heart for you and for I? It's the salvation of his people. God split the sea wide open for us by sending Jesus as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Eternal salvation or saving has been extended to each and every single one of us. And so how do we respond when everything is coming to ruin, when we recognize the need for a savior, when our souls are crying out? There's this song that I love so much. Um, and it's a song that's been a rallying cry for my, for, I know for my sister and her husband, Evan. Um, and the lyrics of one of the verses, they go like this. I'm, I'm going to sing it for you. It goes like this. Where the bombs break Right outside my door And I can't shake The onset of my wars When the stakes are raised And we hold the hand we've drawn You're what I'm counting on. You're what I'm 
Listen to me. Right now, your world may be rocked. The hand that you've drawn may be heavy. I want to ask you, who are you counting on? Who's shadowing you through this dark night? Who's your guide, your comfort, your your peace-filled presence? Whose promises are you clinging to? With everything inside of me, I ask you to consider the God of the Bible. The God that our heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, that they followed and were obedient to in light of much hardship and persecution. The God that sent his only son, Jesus, who knewing no sin, he became sin. So that we could be made whole, we could be made right with God. I'm asking you to hold out your hand and say, God, take me by the hand. Like a good shepherd, lead me. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I just know that I can't face tomorrow without you, God. I want you to make Psalm 23 your prayer. Let's read this together. Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. And surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And here's the key line. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but I'm standing on that. Come what may. I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In Isaiah 26, 4, trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself is the rock eternal. I want to speak to two people. The first are those who are broken, hurting, and alone. Here's the action step I want to give you. It's one word. It's rest. I would invite you, I would encourage you to rest in the faithfulness of God. As Jesus took a moment to rest in the boat. Think about the tension there, right? Storms raging. Jesus is resting. Disciples are freaking out. Jesus is asleep. Let God's faith-filled presence draw you into a restfulness. You don't have to muster up anything. You don't have to will yourself into believing, oh, I'm going to have faith over fear. I'm going to have faith over fear. No, no. Rest in God. Experience an exchange of trust 
where you say, God, you're in control. I trust you. You're in charge. I believe in you. Here's my life. I rest in you. The second group of people would be those of you who have not surrendered your life to Jesus. It would be those of you who haven't they had an exchange of trust, haven't allowed Jesus to become the sacrifice for your sin. And so what I would ask you to do is to pray a prayer with me. And this prayer is you signifying that, God, I'm placing my faith in you and you alone, and I'm inviting you into my life to be my Lord and to be my Savior. This is the starting point of our faith. And as I've said, if you hung with me this long, we have an evidence for our faith. It's, man, there, there's, there's testimony. There is reason for this faith that we're jumping into. And so I would invite you right now to pray a prayer. Use my words, all right? And let's pray this prayer to God. Bow your head, close your eyes, and let's talk to God right now. Say these words. Heavenly Father, I come to you now recognizing my need. God, I acknowledge my sin. And Lord, I trust you and you alone for my salvation. God, send your Holy Spirit to live inside of me. I give you my life today. I surrender everything to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer, you just prayed one of the most powerful prayers you could ever pray. It's where the faith journey begins, right? And so here's what I need you to do. I need you to do one more thing. I'm so glad that you prayed that prayer with me, but you need to follow it up with a second thing. An action step. Let's put this faith into action. There's a digital connection card, all right? It's a link that you'll find above this video. Maybe it's below it if you're watching on YouTube. I need you to fill that out and let us know that you committed your life to Jesus because you can't walk through this life alone. We want to help you. Your faith community wants to come alongside you and help you walk out your next steps in God. So we would love to rejoice with you. Fill that out and uh, and let us know. Church family, we love you and we're praying for you and we're believing that God will calm this storm. He will calm this pandemic. That, that it will be uh, removed from our earth. That the nations would be awakened. But we have a faith that says, God, even if the storms aren't calmed, I know that you're with me. I know that you're in the boat. So I trust you. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Love you guys.